Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. don't know me is Stacy Fletcher and I am super excited to be with you here today on the last day of the church calendar. I get to like finish us all up before we start into Advent celebrating Jesus' coming. Um, today we are going to finish up our series on thinking Christianly and finish up the book of Philippians, which is my favorite book in the whole Bible. So I'm so excited that I got drawn, chosen to uh, do this one with you. So let's start by praying. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you um, for this community of people. Thank you for the things that you're doing in us. Thank you for the things that you're doing through us. We pray, Father, that you would speak today, that the words that I am saying wouldn't be from me, but they would be from you. And Holy Spirit, that you would interpret them to each person in the way that they need to hear and the things that you have to say to them. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you that you are here with us. We invite you in. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we turn to the last chapter of Philippians, Paul has a lot to say in this chapter about thinking Christianly. This is like one of the most tweetable chapters of the Bible. You know, I could just be up here and we could just like talk through each individual little point. Um, But when you think of Philippians chapter 4, you probably think most often of this verse. Amazon says in the e-Kindle Bibles, this is the most highlighted verse in the entire Bible. So let's take a look at it together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the reasons this is so, you know, quotable, it's so, um, because it's so relevant. I mean, most of us deal with anxious thoughts, with worries about the day all day long. This is, this is when we talk about what we're going to think Christianly about, thinking Christianly about what you're already worried about is about the most important thing that, that you can do. But if we're going to be honest, here's how I read this verse often and how I think we talk about it often. I should not be anxious. Instead, in every situation, I should ask God for the things I want. Then God will give me what I'm asking for, and I will feel peaceful. The peace, we think, comes by changing the circumstance. That if we turn it over to God, and we trust Him to do what it is we want Him to do, then we'll be able to feel this peace, this contentment that we're looking for. We believe the pathway to feeling content, to feeling peace, to feeling joy is found in changing the circumstances that we or others find ourselves in. Uh, When we turn to this verse in Philippians, we think kind of that's what God is saying. We kind of skip over (laughs) and interpret in uh, our part. We think that uh, Paul is telling us, if you're anxious, turn to God to change the situation, to create or allow a particular circumstance, and then you will feel feel the peace that you are looking for. We think that uh, changing our circumstances changes our feelings of contentment. As we delve into the challenging questions of our day, we think that changing other people's circumstances will change their contentment. 
And while it can be a really noble, great thing to do, to go about helping change circumstances to make our lives and other people's lives better, that's not actually what Paul is telling us to do when it comes to thinking Christianly. I think what Paul is actually telling us here is much deeper and is a key ingredient to changing how we think. Chiefly, that thinking Christianly involves a deep willingness to turn to God in trust and experience his nearness in the midst of every situation that we face. So we're going to go and look at the whole chapter, uh, not the whole, this whole section of scripture. We're going to talk about Philippians 4, 4 through 13 and read it together. And then we're going to come back and look at each piece separately. So let's read this together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, sorry, you don't actually have to read it with me. That would be really long. But yes, no, I totally gave you instructions. (laughs) I'll read it out loud. You guys read it up on screen with me. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can keep going. Sorry, I'm reading from the screen there. Uh, Finally, ah, sorry, I got totally lost. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So we're going to start from the end and go right back to that verse, Philippians 4, 12 through 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any And every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Figuring out how to be content and how to live our life in the midst of situations and circumstances that we want to be different, I think is one of the chief things that we um, are wrestling with in our day and that we have been throughout history. And... I think Paul gives us a timeless answer, but not the answer I think we usually look to. We often separate this verse from the passage above it. And so we look at the end and we say, um, okay, the, the secret to being content in any circumstance is that I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And I think that's a part of it. Part of being content in any circumstances is drawing on the strength of the Lord to get through it. But I think actually what has happened here is he's given us the secret above. He's given us the ways of, of looking at our mind and looking at these things in the passages above this. Paul has discovered that the pathway to feeling content in every situation is not based on changing the situation. It is based on changing the way that we think in context of our connection to God. 
Paul has discovered that the pathway to feeling content is not in changing the situation. It's unchanging the way we think in the context of our relationship, our connection to God. While changing a circumstance may be desirable and may be something we want to work towards, the secret to changing the way we feel, the secret to being content, is to change the way we think. So back in September, you guys might remember, I did um, a sermon on this idea um, called the model. And it's a very practical tool to help change the way that you think. And so I just want to review it really quick so that I can use it as language to ground us in um, as we continue to talk about this. So the model says that you have a circumstance and the circumstance is not positive or negative, it's neutral. Then you have a thought about that circumstance and that thought will drive how you feel. The feeling that you have will then drive what you do and then what you do gives you a result, which isn't up there. Um, so it starts with your thoughts about the circumstance, which drives how you feel, which drives what you do, which drives the result you get in your life. And so when you want to change how you feel, when you want that feeling of peace and contentment, the idea is not to change the circumstance, but instead to change the thought. And I think that this is exactly what Paul is telling us here. He's like, hey, let me give you a bunch of ways that you can work on changing your thoughts. And I think that that is the secret to being content in any circumstance. So Paul talks about how to change our thinking in four ways. The first one is to rejoice in the Lord always. The second one is to entrust your situation into God's hands. The third is to take a posture of thankfulness. And the fourth is to examine and focus your thoughts. So let's start with rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. So the word rejoice, you know, is not one that we use all that often other than Christmas carols, right? Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that a lot in the next month. But the word rejoice is to take great delight in, to have joy in. And when you think about it, I don't think Paul is saying take great delight in a circumstance you hate. Take great delight in this thing that's really hard. He says take great delight in the Lord. And so it's always starting by grounding ourselves in that. That when we can start from a foundation that no matter what is going on, no matter what circumstance we or others face, no matter what situation we're in, we can take great delight in the Lord. That changes the posture of how we think about everything else. And so the first part is just a simple act of putting ourselves into a posture of taking great delight in the Lord, in his character, in our relationship with him, no matter what else. The second one then is to entrust your situation into God's hands. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So if we go back to the model, you're thinking what you're thinking, um, you're feeling what you're feeling because of your thinking. So if you're feeling these anxious thoughts, if you're anxious about anything, that feeling of anxiety is coming from the thoughts that are going on in your head. And you're probably not aware of most of them, but they're there. And um, when you entrust your situation to God, you begin to change that thinking. 
right? So you're in a situation and you're thinking, this is totally dependent on me. I have to figure this out. I gotta be the one to do this. This is all on me. Or you're thinking, I'm completely helpless in this situation. There's nothing I can do about this. You might think that the situation is hopeless in of itself. Um, you might just be worried about the outcome. But when you entrust the situation to God, when you say, okay, God, I'm giving this to you, you stop thinking that the situation is out of control and that there's nothing you can do, and you put it, you start thinking that God is in control. You stop thinking that the situation is dependent upon you, and you start thinking that the situation is dependent upon God. You stop thinking that the situation is hopeless. You start thinking that there's hope in what God is going to do. You start thinking from a posture of trust, trust that the Lord is near, trust that God wants to hear about your anxieties, that he cares about the worries that are in your life. Trusting that God is working for your good, trusting that God will bring good, even if it's not in the way that you think it should be. Trusting that God is good, which is often one of the hardest things to do, and trusting that he's in it with you. So once you've started with a posture of rejoicing, taking great delight in the Lord, and then you've moved into a place of beginning to think that God is in control because you're entrusting your situation to him, then you, the next part is to take a posture of thanksgiving. Philippians 4, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So this was fascinating to me. I just started doing some Googling about Thanksgiving and, and um, not the holiday, the act. And uh, psychologists have defined gratitude as a positive emotional response that we perceive on giving or receiving a benefit from somebody else. So when we have this perception that we are receiving a benefit, then we feel this feeling of gratitude. And um, I read an article called The Neuroscience of Gratitude. And one of the things that they said is that gratitude produces a feeling of long-lasting happiness and contentment, the physiological basis of which lies at the neurotransmitter level. When we express gratitude or when we receive gratitude, our brain releases dopamine and serotonin, the two crucial neurotransmitters responsible for our emotions that make us feel good. They enhance our mood immediately, making us happy from the inside. Isn't this fascinating? By consciously practicing gratitude every day, we can help these neural pathways to strengthen themselves and ultimately create a permanent, grateful, positive nature within ourselves. The thing that I love about this is that God literally is giving us an instruction manual to our brain. He's like, hey, I created you this way. You don't really need to know the details. Like he doesn't go in here and say, this is how the neurotransmitters work. And when you give, thing, when you give gratitude, then I'm gonna produce serotonin and you're gonna feel happy. He doesn't tell us any of that. He just says, with thanksgiving, present your request to God because he knows that that's how he made us and that's the hack that's going to produce these feelings of happiness and contentment in us which I love because it's simple, and then it goes on where it doesn't make any sense. Which the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
So he's saying, like, I know you don't get it. I know that you don't understand how your brain works and how that will all work, but I'm telling you, when you come with thankfulness and you present your request to me, you're immediately going to feel better because that's the way I made you. And so that's what uh, Paul encourages us to do. So the last step then is to examine and focus your thoughts. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I think often when we get to this verse, we kind of like divorce it from the things above. We're like, okay, I was worried about these things, so now I'm supposed to like turn my brain and think about other things that we'll all feel better about. Like I'm worried about how I'm gonna pay my rent, so I should start thinking about pretty flowers because then I'll, like, I'll feel better. And I don't think that that's at all divorced from, the, from what's above. So Paul's like, start from a place of rejoicing in the Lord, taking great delight in him. Then move into a place where you entrust the situation to God. Put yourself in a posture of thanksgiving because that will immediately make you feel better. And then now that you're in this place, let's examine the thoughts that you're having. Let's actually take a look at them in a deeper way. And so he gives us literally a list of things that, um, that we can use to examine our thought, thoughts. So the first one he says, what is true? Um, this one is all about, uh, sorry, this one is all about separating the facts of the situation from the story that you're telling yourself about it. For the most part, most of the things that we kind of, you know, spin on when we're anxious have everything to do with the story we're telling ourselves about it and very little to do with the actual facts of the situation. And so the first one is examining what is true about the situation, about God's character, about you as a person, and about the other people involved. And it can be a helpful thing to go, if I were standing in front of a jury of 10 people from all different parts of the world, what would they all think is true? Like, oh, he yelled at me, he was super angry. Would everybody think that that's true? Like some people think that anything above a whisper is yelling. Other people think that like screaming and shouting is completely normal and that's not yelling at all, you know? Our versions of what's true vary widely among us. And so taking yourself back to like, what's actually true? And what's true about God in this? What's true about me in this? What am I making this mean about me? If I'm thinking this thought that I'm really anxious about, what am I making it mean about myself? because usually that has a lot to do with why we actually feel anxious. And then what am I making it mean about the other people involved and what's actually true about the other people involved? And then he goes on, what is noble and right? And I, I um, let's keep that back up. I think that these things are helpful questions to ask under, as sub-questions under each of these. What is noble and right about the situation? Like a lot of times all we can see is what's wrong and what we want to be changed, right? We're constantly like, all right, I, I got to figure this out. I got to do this. But like what's actually good about the situation as it is without any changes? What's actually noble and right? Noble is a, a word that means of high ideals. What's, what's, what's the best thing 
about God in this? What about me? What about this other person? What's noble and right, as is in this circumstance, about all of these things? And then we'll move on to what's pure and lovely. What's pure and lovely about this situation? About God's character in this situation? About me as a person in this situation? About the other person involved in this situation? What is admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy about this situation? About God in this situation? About me in this situation? And about this other person in this situation? And when we can use these questions to really examine and focus our thoughts, if you remember back when I taught us the model, the first part is understanding your own thoughts and using these kinds of questions that, that Paul lays out for us to understand your own thoughts and to understand what's happening in the thing for you. And then you can begin to change those thoughts into thoughts that are actually more focused on what's true, what's lovely, what's noble, um, what's pure, what's admirable, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy. And so I don't think at all that Paul's saying, just pretend you don't feel what you feel, pretend you don't think what you think, and instead put this like really nice little Christian face on it and think something really good. He's actually saying, you can actually change how you're thinking. And I'm going to give you a strategy for changing that T line of your model so that you can feel content. And the strategy is to put yourself in a place of rejoicing, of taking great delight in the Lord then putting yourself in a posture of ask, or putting it into God's hands in thanksgiving, and then examining and focusing your thoughts on the things that you want them to be. So when we go back to Philippians 4, 12 through 13, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Living this way, thinking this way, I do think is a supernatural act of the Lord. Like he, he put our brains in a way that he's like, here, let me show you how to hack it. But like, you gotta have the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. It's, it's hard to live this way. It's hard to take yourself out of the emotions and even to take yourself out of the idea that changing the circumstance is what would be best. But I guarantee you, most circumstances, especially when they have to do with controlling how other people would behave towards you, like you're never gonna change that. You can't, you can't make your spouse behave in a certain way towards you, or your child, or your friend, or your, um, your boyfriend or girlfriend. You can't change them, but you can change how you think about the situation to really come at it from a clean place to make good decisions about what you wanna do and to be content no matter what. To be content no matter if that person ever changes or not. To be content no matter if the situation ever changes or not. And from that place, you'll know the best ways to move forward in ways that, um, that, glorify the, that glorify the Lord and that put you back in this focus on Him. So as we wrap up this series, um, 
I'm, I'm going to move from talking a little bit about just Philippians 4 to the whole series of Thinking Christianly and the things that has really stood out to me in it. And I found it in this verse or in this chapter in Philippians 4. And I will be honest, I've read Philippians 4 a million times. I've, you know, it's a tweetable, tweet it, tweet it, tweet it. I've never seen this. And it's the idea, it's Philippians 4, 5b, the Lord is near. And I think in all the other things that Paul has to say to us in the book of Philippians, in all the other ways that we look at thinking Christianly, the most important part is this really short little verse sandwiched in the middle. Rejoice in the Lord always. Present every request to God. And right in the middle of that, the Lord is near. In fact, he sandwiches this, this throughout the, the whole thing. It's peppered throughout the whole um, section of Philippians 4. God will transcend the situation beyond all human understanding by replacing anxiety and peace. God's doing this. He's the one working in this. Um, God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. God will meet your needs. You can be content in every situation through Christ who will give you the strength to do so. God will be with you. At each one, he says, here's a way to think, and then here's what God's going to do. Here's a way to think. Here's what God's going to do. Here's a way to think. Here's what God's going to do. God is the one that's near. God is the one that's moving in. So as you look at the situations in your life, you know, our, our, our thing, our series of thinking Christianly is both thinking Christianly about the things going on with you and thinking Christianly about the things going on in our world. And how do we begin to think differently about those things through this Christian perspective? And I think if you take nothing else from the series, take that the Lord is near and that he is in it with you. One of the things that I think that I, I'll speak for myself. I don't know if, if the rest of you struggle with this, but sometimes we don't want to examine our faith, our thoughts, the things that we're worried about, the situations in the world that we are unhappy with, because we're afraid of what we're going to find at the end. We're afraid of what we're going to make it mean about God or about ourselves. And so I know for me in the last probably four months, I've begun to really examine and question a lot of things in my faith in ways that I never have before. And in that, I was terrified that I would end up walking away from the faith, that I would end up leaving Jesus. And my, Jesus is the center for me. He is everything. And I just thought, I can't risk that. I can't risk examining these things if the end could be leaving Jesus. And so I'm just not going to examine them. And I think I've lived a lot of my life that way. And one of my friends, one of my fellow life coaches, um, encouraged me to consider the idea that examining these things with Jesus could bring me closer to him. I think a lot of times I look at it and I'm like, well, God, I don't know about these things. So you stay over here and I'm going to like come over here and figure out what I think. And what she, can, she asked me to consider to do is like, hey, can you just like literally go like sit in his lap, curl up with him and go, what do you think about this? I don't get it. I don't understand it. And that if I could do that as I examined and tried to begin to think Christianly, if I could do it with Jesus, that that might actually bring me closer to him, not further away from him. 
And so I kind of very trepidated, trep- with fear, I began to do that. <laughs> and um, I was in Boulder a couple of weeks ago. I travel out there a lot for work. And I was driving into the office. And um, I was talking to God about this. And I just was talking to him about my fears, not even about the things that I wanted to examine, but just my fears of, of losing my relationship with him in it. And I just felt a prompting to listen to an Amazon playlist I hadn't listened to in quite a long time, and I put it on. And the first song was The Reckless Love of God. And he said, there's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. He said this to me. There's no shadow that I won't, there's no mountain that I won't climb up to come after you. There's no wall I won't kick down. There's no lie I won't tear down coming after you. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. But he gives himself away over the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And as you are thinking about the different circumstances in your life that cause you anxiousness and worries, as you are thinking about the circumstances that you see in our world and the things that want, you want to tear apart from Jesus in, he will come after you. His love, he is done the most incredible things to come after you already. And he will continue. And you can entrust yourself to that in every part of your journey with him. No matter if you're questioning or if you're climbing into his lap questioning, whatever it is, the Lord is near. And you can continue counting on that in every part of the journey. So I want to invite you to come up and to partake in communion from this place. He has done everything to come after you and he will continue to do everything to come after you. And you can put yourself into a posture of taking great delight in him, having great joy in him, putting every situation into his control, thanking him, putting yourself into a posture of thinking, examining your thoughts, but most importantly, resting in the fact that the Lord is near and he will always come after you. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the things that you have done. Thank you for your reckless love. I don't understand it. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. And yet you continue to come after us. You come after us as a community. You come after us as a world. You come after us in all that you do. We're so grateful. We're so thankful. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and come up. Take from the Lord's table. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.